In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Be yourself. Let's come together and make for a wonderful relationship with you being who you are and with me being who I am. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. And as you hear, I'm with my producer co-host, Dale Culver, right now. How you doing, my man? I'm doing awesome, Jim. Hey, uh, this is a new system. You're in another room, first time ever. Uh, but I am, I gotta tell you, I'm really excited right now. We took the entire month of July off to write. I just finished a great book called Guts and Manhood, Four Irrefutable Attributes of Courage. And we're going to offer that book free uh, during the month of September. And so, and then it's going to go to press and we're going to, you know, not offer it for free. So super excited about that. And I'm also really excited about our guest today. He and I serve on the National Coalition of Ministries to Men Board of Directors. His perspective on uh, partiality and racial reconciliation is probably the healthiest perspective I have ever heard. And with coming from a white dude in Oregon trying to figure things out, uh, Elmo has really helped me. And I really, really am excited about him today. And I think a large majority of our listeners are going to be really excited uh, just to hear what he has to say and his wisdom and biblical uh, guidance. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, But hey, do you have a man word? I do. And you're going to try to guess it. Reconciliation. Oh, that's so good. But I uh, decided to go with kingdom (laughs) because... Oh, you stole it off his bio. You know what? uh, Okay, well, that's a little bit vanilla, but all right, I'll take it. You got me. You got me. I'm always vanilla. Yeah, I was thinking about <laughs> things that we do in life that matter, and we should be doing things that have kingdom impact, have, have everlasting impact. And so men need to be doing that sort of stuff. Well, I think that's really good, man, because I think uh, a lot of times, especially on social media, people, I see Christians lose their salvation over politics and, and things that honestly are not kingdom oriented. I know they mm-hmm. think they are, but they're not. And the kingdom pulls us together. The kingdom does not divide us apart as believers. So no, I agree, man. I think that's I'm a, I'm a big fan of the kingdom and doing kingdom things. And the kingdom of God is about partnership and collaboration. It's about walking across the room. Uh, it's about being a bridge. And uh, I, yeah, that's really good, man. So hey, uh, do you have a shout out today? Anybody send a hero story in? 
Yeah, this is Kenneth, Kenneth McCoy. And he's, he uh, sent us one in, and uh, we just really appreciate that, man. So shoot me a message at info at meninthearena.org, and I want to send you some swag, guys. We love getting these reviews. So if you could just continue doing that, we want to send you some stuff. Hey, I also want to say I got a great hero story from a wife. If you're a wife out there and you're listening, I've been told that women listen to this podcast to scout out how, to, how their husbands think. If you're a woman listening to this podcast, man, thank you so much. Send us a hero story. How have you, how have you seen your husband change? What are you seeing in him because of uh, the ministries of Men in the Arena and other collaborative ministries out there? And so thank you so much for that. And so, hey, I want to bring on our guest. He's my new friend, Elmo Winters. Elmo is the founder and executive director of Kingdom Group International. It's an organization dedicated to racial healing, unity, and reconciliation, utilizing the life-changing gospel of Christ. This guy is a rock star, people. The Kingdom Group hosts events to be, uh, bring diverse groups together for dialogue, relationship building. Uh, Reverend Winters has been in ministry for over 42 years as a church planner, pastor, Bible Institute instructor, and hospice chaplain, which I know is close to your heart, Dale. Winters serves on the boards of South uh, Gulf South Men of Louisiana, the National Coalitions of Ministry to Men, board of directors with myself, and he's on the Louisiana Lanyap County Walk to Emmaus. I, I learned that word Lanyap in Louisiana. That's how I could pronounce it. So pretty proud of myself there. Elmo, I found a, an axe head in the middle of the road on a missions trip to New Orleans. And the guy goes, that's Lanyap. <laughs> yeah. What? The, what is Lanyap? He said, it's something different, something a little better. Yep. <laughs> so that's how I was. That's how you got. Okay. Anyway, back to the thing here. Anyway, and he's also been involved with Mercy Education Foundation in Liberia, Africa. Elmo, it's such a great honor to have you on the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. It's a joy to be here. I'm really excited to be a part of what you guys are doing. I'm really excited about this. Man, well, we're excited to learn from you. Honestly, we're two white dudes from Oregon. I'm just being really honest. And we, in a lot of ways, are clueless. And we're trying to educate our guys out there who are clueless. And you just have such a great heart. And you articulate things so well. I thought, man, we really need to bring you on the show. Uh, we're in uh, almost day 70 in Portland, Oregon, of, of uh, with race riots and massive destruction of the city. And a lot of us, about an hour away, are just kind of going, we, we just have a lot of questions. And so I'm going to throw some questions at you today and I hope you can uh, help us out and help us understand. Okay. I'll be glad to do so. Um, just hit me away unless you may tell a little bit about my story, about who I am. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? I'm going to, yeah, I do. Yeah. Why don't you do that? Tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, uh, what makes you tick, uh, things you enjoy, hobbies, anything that be pertinent for our audience today? Well, first of all, I'm a 70-year-old young guy who uh, grew up in a very, very uh, uh, separated, uh, deep south. I've been in Louisiana all my life, and I've just been blessed to have come through a very difficult uh, the 50s and the 60s, and uh, just been blessed. I'm the guy who actually started off in the uh, segregated south and uh, have been uh, blessed to have traveled the entire world, uh, starting churches, working with different cultures, learning to love people right where they are. And let me give a plug real quick. I played yeah. in the band, played in the band at LSU in 1968, the Whoa. national champions of football in this nation. <laughs> you're, you're at LSU. Is that the Tigers, right? That's right. The Tigers right back. Hey, in man, you've got to love their head coach. Mm -hmm. That guy is so old school. <laughs> 
he is so down to earth and uh he's a genius at what he's doing uh so we're, we're excited about what's gonna happen this next uh this next season and i don't know i probably shouldn't say this because we've got a lot of bama guys but it was nice to see it's nice to see bama and clemson go down i mean i'm just saying you know it's just uh it's good to see lsu back in the driver's seat and then in two years i'll probably hate them and want bama to get them back in there but uh you know out here in oregon yeah. you know we're cheering on our ducks and beavers so Hey, man, Elmo, uh, in show of our appreciation for coming on the show, we're going to throw you into the fire. <laughs> we call it our rapid fire round. So are you ready to rock and roll? I'm ready. Just fire away. Okay. Hey, man, I've pulled four phrases out of your book that I thought were really good, and uh, our guys would really appreciate you explaining them. So I'm going to jump on here and start on page 11. You talked about tact. Okay, by the way, we're going to be talking about Elmo's book. It's a short booklet called Overcoming Racial and Cultural Barriers to Disciple Men. And this book is only about 50 pages long, but it's packed with just some great principles. And so we're going to unpack that for you guys today. So the first thing, Elmo, is tactical edifying. Well, let me say, first of all, about the book, I wrote it to be a small book for men. Uh, I wrote it uh, with bold print and so on, so guys would pick it up and read it from front cover to back and i've been told by many that's what happens yep we start talking about tactical edifying i believe that uh when you use tactical in any uh, environment we're talking about selecting targets we're talking about uh focusing on groups or places we're going to work in i'm convinced that god has called men in this hour to be his leaders, to be the ones that will lead the charge when it comes to bringing people together. Thus, I'm convinced that what we have to do is focus on training men, building up men to be the leaders, not just in the church, but to start being the leaders in their home, their communities, uh, being fathers, being husbands, and so on. And as we see men build up, then we can see them attack some of these issues that often are referred to as racial issues, uh, seeing men come together and be one. That's what's very important right now in our world. Man, I feel like I'm talking to myself. Thank you so much for that. That's that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, answer to that question. The next mm-hmm. one is, and, and mm-hmm. honestly, this is a, I read this book in about 45 minutes, maybe not even that long. Mm-hmm. And, and it, mm-hmm. you, you covered some broad strokes, but you covered them very well. And you answer a lot of questions that guys are asking in a very simple book that anybody can read. And so I'm assuming this book was written in 2019. Actually, the book was written about 2017. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, the book came out of being a part of the National Coalition of Ministries to Men's uh, How to Disciple Men book. Uh, Hmm. I was one of 45 authors in that book actually chapter 23, if you want to go back and read it. Uh And I felt like I did not do the subject justice because I didn't have but about 1,600 to 2,000 word limit. So what I decided to do was write a book a little bit more uh, extensive and cover some areas. But I want to be detailed enough not to get guys lost, but also be inspiring enough to move people to do something. Mm Mm-hmm. No, it was. I really did appreciate it. It was a lot more than I expected because I saw this small booklet. I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be 
interesting. And I, and I wrote so many notes and you're going to be the, the victim of all my notes today. I've got a lot of notes for you. So let's jump on in here. At page 13, you talked about reaching across racial lines. Will you unpack that? Yeah. Let me first of all first say that um, I'm going to do my best to stay within the context of our conversation. Uh, one of the things that we're working on is t- trying to do away with uh, this narrative of race because we don't believe that it is from God. So uh, I believe that what we do is work hard to reach across uh, the lines that have been drawn by man, not by God, mm-hmm. because with God, we're all one. But when we, when we start talking about reaching over uh, the racial lines, uh, we're talking about coming out of your comfort zone, doing things that do not feel good, do not feel right, may be offensive to some. It's not designed to be that way. But we're talking about actually getting up and doing something beyond talking. Uh, everybody can talk. It's so easy to talk. But what is very inspiring, what is very effective is for me to move out of a dialogue mode and start to uh, come close to someone and embrace what they're doing, share with them what I'm doing. So it's going to require some action on our part. Well, that's really powerful, Elmo, because social media has become this place of massive battering of other people. And just pontificating and nobody's doing anything. Social media is a place where nothing gets done. Everything Correct. gets talked about. So what you're saying is, you know, stop flapping your lips, stop flicking your fingers and make something happen. Move, move out of your computer and your TV and move into the world that is inviting you. No, it's begging you into its space to help reach across these lines. So that's really powerful. It gets beyond talking. So I appreciate that. The next one. I was having uh, – we were watching Promise Keepers event with our church uh, last weekend, Elmo, uh, as Uh I'm sure you were. And we were outside Uh doing it because it's about 90 degrees here in Oregon right now. And a Uh truck drove by flying the rebel flag. Uh Now, in your book, Uh you said while while one side – talking about the rebel flag, which is the the phrase Uh I want you to unpack. While one side sees it as a symbol of their heritage, the other despises it because it reminds them of the past they would much rather forget. And I agree wholeheartedly. I don't understand why anybody would fly a rebel flag. That is over. Uh, We won. Uh, The country is now under a united regime. I I just don't get this rebel flag thing. Can you unpack that for us? Well, one of the problems we have, uh, Jim, today is that so many people are still living uh, in the past, thinking Mm -hmm. of the past, and uh, will will not let the past go. You're correct. Uh, We're living in a different day, and it should be a day where our goal as believers is to embrace all people. And if I'm doing something that is offensive to you, that is causing you harm or hurt or pain, I think I need to be very mindful of that. And for many, many people, the rebel flag is painful. Now, I'm a little different because I don't care. I mean, you can fly the <laughs> rebel flag. In fact, I'll be honest with you. If you're flying the rebel flag, I'm going to do something very, very different. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to talk to you because I want to hear your story. I want to hear uh, why does that mean so much to you? And I've shared with people of late, you know, when I sit and I'm attentively listening to somebody else's story, I gain the permission. 
I gained the opportunity to tell them my story. So I listen. I want to hear why does the uh, rebel flag mean so much to you? And many people, uh, many white people fly the flag and do not realize that it does cause pain for people of color. Um, this is America. You have the freedom to fly the rebel flag or any flag you want to. But I'm not going to do it because uh, our Savior has instructed us to not partake in those things that will cause harm or pain or problems to others. So I, I'll, I'll not do it. And I, I think that's a, a very important fact that people need to remember. This is why I had you on my show. I love this about you. We, When we think of reconciliation, we think of the white man walking across the room to the black man. But mm. I, I love it there. You're going, wow, you're flying a rebel flag. Let's talk about yeah. that. And you're the one walking across the room. And I think that's what we need to understand. It's both yeah. parties. If we both walk across the room, we're going to meet somewhere in the middle. And that's yes. usually yes. where you can find the truth. So I really do appreciate that, Elmo. May I share one other story real quickly, Absolutely. which if you don't mind, Jim? Yeah, go for it. I remember traveling once uh, to an event with Mark Lovett, and he and I stopped at a McDonald's to pick up a quick meal. And as we were standing in line with a number of people, I looked to my left, and there's this dear brother, and uh, he's the typical picture of a skinhead, completely shaved head, had a beard, and I just went over to him and said, hey, man, I love your beard. And the guy smiled, and he said, that's not my really beard. That's not a real beard. He said, that's my hair. That's uh, just kind of rescinding from my head down to my face. <laughs> and we laughed. We laughed. And I said, I wish I could grow a beard like that. I wish my hair would do the same thing I said. And um, he got his food. And as he was walking out, he kind of touched me in the back and said, keep working on that beard. Hmm. Now, that may not may not be a big thing, but to see him smile and to actually uh, touch his life, touch him with something that was of interest to the two of us is what I'm convinced we have to do. Uh, I took a chance. He could have easily said, get out of my face. He could have called me the N-word and all kinds of things. But I took the chance mm. because it was worth doing for the sake of crossing across racial lines. Which is what Jesus did, right? The woman at the well. Uh, oh, all, over and over again, he, he, he rocked the world. Uh, uh, the the yes. people around him because he crossed the lines. He he stepped across the room. And, man, that guy may have been a skinhead. He may not have been a skinhead. I don't know about you, mm -hmm. Elmo, but being a big, bald guy, people uh, are often oh. intimidated to approach me. And I've had yeah. people say, man, yeah. you're not anything like I thought. I go, but, you know, because you crossed the, the, you crossed the room. And so exactly. I, I really appreciate that. I, I think that's so important. And what I hear you saying, Elmo, you, you called this, uh, quote, skinhead you said there was a dear brother. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you mm -hmm. saying there is there is nothing as important as building a bridge to a relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jim, I've learned to love. And, and, and let me say this for those who may be listening. I'm not headed easy. I've gone through some very difficult times uh, in my past, but I've learned to love people right where they are. And I don't require them to love me back. Mm. I'm just going to love you. I don't care if you love me or not. I'm still going to love you. And there's not a thing you can do about that. I'm going to love you. <laughs> that works. That You're going to love people. I'm going to love you right where you are, whether you like it or mm. not. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and you know, and it, it works. It, well, and people respond to love. They don't respond to bitter rants and, and pontifications on social media. They respond to love. They respond to you walking over there going, hey, bro. 
I like your haircut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. absolutely. Oh, yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. I was in the yeah. grocery store with my wife about two weeks ago, and there was a lady who was waiting on us, and she had a mask, so I can't see their faces anymore. It's really difficult. And she had mm-hmm. like a, she just had a tie dye shirt. My mask, by the way, was camo because I'm a hunter, and uh, had a okay. camo mask. And she's wearing a tie dye shirt, and she's got all these mystical kind of a, you know. Uh, astral uh what's the word astrology is astrological signs and she looked at me and uh-huh. she kind of i could see her shaking her head <clears throat> and i said oh how are you doing are you from here and she told me her whole story and her the, her step uh-huh. her step changed her eyes changed her body language changed because here's this guy that she thought was this redneck wearing a camo hat and a camo mask uh-huh. but but built uh-huh. a bridge and it's amazing how fast that can pull the walls down Absolutely. We need to learn to tell our story, but more importantly, I believe we need to learn to listen to the stories of others. Oh, so and yeah, it changes changes everything. So good, man. Well, speaking about tearing down the walls, you wrote this in your book, quote, we live in what is thought to be one of the most divisive and polarized times ever. Now, when I read that, I did not think that you were specifically addressing racial stuff. I was gathering that you were expressing something much deeper can you unpack that statement and what you mean by the most divisive and polarized times ever well in writing a book um and note again it was three years ago and it's Mm -hmm. even more so today but we are divided on every front uh most people think race uh most people think maybe ethnicities or the culture but one of the great successes of the work we have been able to do for the past three and a half years, we are uniting denominations. Uh, we're having mm. United Methodist people come together with Baptists. And we're having Catholics showing up at the table with uh, Presbyterians. And we are working on unifying people across all lines. We have a great divide in our country between uh, agenda. And yeah. uh, we are we're seeing that separate us. And one thing... Our common enemy knows that if he can divide us, he can defeat us. Yeah. So we have to be mindful that it's important we stay unified because, as that cliche goes, we are better together. We are stronger together. And um, it's like Christians need to learn to um, to accept the best we can uh, people who have the different uh, sexual uh, preferences. We got to love them. Not love their sin per se, but we need to love them right where they are and love them to Christ. And that's what's important. Yeah, I think that's the key is that you don't have to agree with someone to love them. You just no. you can love them for the sake of loving them. Well, you, you, you talked about Christians just now in reconciliation. In your book, you wrote, prayerfully, it will be a catalyst for the work of reconciliation that must be led by Christians. So when you talk about reconciliation— what are what do you mean by that? Who do we need to reconcile with? Who needs to reconcile with whom? What needs to be reconciled? Well, we need to definitely address the fact that we are the only people Christ gave the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't give that to the world. He gave that to the believers. So anyone who's at odds with us, we need to bring them back into uh, this uh, positive relationship, this loving relationship. Uh, It doesn't matter if it's somebody who uh, may be Muslim or somebody who may be uh, an atheist. Uh, We need to reconcile 
come together and be one. Uh, reconciliation has to do with um, uh, reaching that brother or sister who's afar off to bring them close. Someone who's at odds with us to um, uh, let's reason together and do away with whatever it is that's separating us. So we have that responsibility. And I believe God has given us right now, especially over the past four months, five months, six months, the greatest opportunity there's ever been for us to reconcile with others. I agree a hundred percent. You know, it's interesting. So we live up in uh, Portland. We live about an hour South of Portland, which is way different than Portland. A very Mm -hmm. uh, Caucasian community, a lot of Hispanics. We have a lot of agriculture. And uh, Mm -hmm. what we have found, what I have found is there's been a gap between the Hispanic community and the Caucasian community. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes Elmo, we misinterpret Jesus' second commandment to love mm-hmm. your neighbor as yourself. Yes. We, we yes. think it's some kind of a pie in the sky, some kind of philosophical um, mantra that Jesus used, maybe hyperbole. But mm-hmm. what if Jesus actually meant to love your neighbor, your actual mm-hmm. next door neighbor? We had a an event at our house. Uh, our, our neighborhood's recycled over the last 15, 20 years, and we had a Taco Tuesday. My wife and I mm. love tacos. And so we had our we had our new neighbors over, just the people on our corners. There are five homes just kind of around our immediate vicinity. And it was really interesting. One couple, she's full-time in the wine industry. He's in the beer industry. The other couple, he's a native, a card-carrying Native American who's currently out of a job mm. because he works at a casino. Across the street, mm-hmm. we had a first-generation Hispanic family who, uh, the, you know, they the, the husband barely speaks English. And across the street is a Christian family. And then one of the neighbors brought their daughter who brought their best friend who was a homosexual kid. So here we are uh-huh. having this talk, these tacos together with this greatly, wildly diverse population of a dozen. And I thought, man, diversity is in our hood. <laughs> it's in it our is. neighborhood. Yeah. Can you talk to about that? How, how, what would you tell the people about just their neighbors? Well, one thing you mentioned is what I talk about in the book is you guys came together around food. We can all agree around food. I'm just sad that you didn't invite me to the tacos uh, Tuesday because I love tacos, okay? And it, that's so very big. Let's get together and and have a meal together and just 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 kind of get next to each other and learn about mm. each other. People have a tendency to lower their guards when we're eating together, especially something that reflects uh, a people group's uh, custom. Uh, I love eating uh, uh, various cuisines from all over the world and to learn about the people. And as you said, you have people of all walks of life there and everybody was enjoying the fellowship. That's what I believe we have to focus on. Yeah, well, because we rallied around a common cause. We live together. You said something interesting in your book. On page 23 of your book, you said, what characteristics were most valuable in successful relationships that crossed racial and cultural lines? And then you said 48% of men who responded to your survey identified working together Mm -hmm. with common interests and shared values as a number one component of these relationships. Then you continued on page 27 and you said Mm -hmm. another important ingredient for effectively discipling diverse men is Christ centeredness. A third of the men surveyed 
uh, in your kingdom group, Gulf South Men survey, believe that the success of their multiracial relationships is based on their connection with Christ. This this is so freeing for me because I, I don't have to go find some recruit some brown dude or yellow dude or have some black mm-hmm. dude come and recruit me. That I don't build a relationship based on color, but I build it on mm-hmm. something different. Can you tell us about what surprised you in these findings? When we started having the men's unity breakfasts, which is what we do once a mm-hmm. month, we're bringing diverse guys together. Uh, it was started in churches, and it was basically uh, bringing guys together in a church's fellowship hall. And it always was about uh, Christ and bringing glory to God. We tried to make sure that it wasn't about that church, that pastor, that denomination. It's all about Christ. And, you know, even unbelievers, even unbelievers will stop and enter in a conversation if you bring up Christ. They may not know anything about him. But if you talk about uh, another book I wrote, it's called uh, Growing by Going. And I talk about how when we reach unbelievers, we need to demonstrate to them John 3.16. Do not quote it demonstrate it let them experience mm. the love of jesus christ and non-believers they are shocked when we just love them like christ loves them so i believe having christ-centeredness is that glue that will hold the group together because it's not about your favorite team it's not about your favorite uh, politician it's not about your uh, your your denomination it's all about christ well, you know, it's funny, Elmo. Do you remember a guy named Mike Iaconelli? He started the Babylon Bee, and he founded Youth Specialties. Do you remember him? I think I, yeah, yeah, He's I think I do. out of Wairica, yeah. California. Uh, I just preached mm-hmm. a sermon Sunday on uh, unity in the body of Christ. And and Mike mm-hmm. said something years ago, that, and he used to say it all the time, kind of tongue-in-cheek, using a little bit of hyperbole, but I thought it was so funny. He said, church is a place you go. You church is a place you go to hang out with people you don't like. <laughs> and I thought, I thought that sucker, he's absolutely right. I would not, I yeah. would never hang out with the people I'm hanging out with except for yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He bridges. Exactly. Uh, I'll tell you one of the things he really, and we, we don't talk about this very often, but there's a massive generational gap and Jesus uh-huh. bridges that 25 year old young father to that 75 year old seasoned, uh, elder statesman. I mean, there's a beauty in the body of Christ as we are woven together in this tapestry of such a diverse uh, people group, demographic group, gender, race, Uh all these things. So you said something uh, in your book that I thought was really freeing. So I'm going to speak as a white dude right now. You said um, the statement that is heard, and I think this is the number one question our guys are having, Elmo. Well, hey, before we do that, I'm going to have a word from our sponsor. We're going to come right back at you. So let's take a short break. We'll come right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org give us your email and we'll send you a free pdf version of the field guide it's jim's 365 day bathroom book for men it's the study of manly words in the bible illustrated with great stories this is also a great resource for all our arena men we'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast including jim's personal blog prayer requests and weekly boots on the ground mission 
Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So back to your your quote, Elmo. On page 14, you said, the statement that is heard too often from Caucasian men is, quote, I really want to reach out to my black brothers, but I don't know how. Complicating this with the mistrust that many men of color harbor against other men that don't like them. Can you unpack that for us, for us uh, white folk who just want some help here? Uh, what, what We need advice from you, man. What do we do? H- help us. Well, I, I'm afraid uh, that there is, unfortunately, today in uh, the, the Caucasian race, this fear uh, that if I say anything, I'm going to offend someone or yes. be called a racist. So people will be very careful how they frame things, how they say things, and and so on. Uh, I have actually spoken to to many uh, all uh, white groups and I've shared with them that uh, what you need to do is be as genuine as you can be but do not use phrases like uh, I have a lot of white friends I have a lot of black <laughs> friends don't say I got a lot of black friends okay uh, that just n- does not go over well and <laughs> definitely do not say these words I don't see color don't say that oh okay? yes <laughs> Don't I'm say colorblind. that. I'm colorblind. That doesn't go well because people know it's not true. I, I'm colorblind. I understand what you're saying, but I believe you can just stop saying that and you will not alienate people so quickly. We have to learn to build trust and respect for one another. And uh, after we had a very bad situation in our city, July 5th, uh, 2016, where a white officer shot and killed a black man he was trying to arrest. Uh, We were exposed to a lot of hostilities. Mm. And we learned that the best way to deal with this is by simply reaching out to someone who doesn't look like you and say, hi, I'm Elmo Winters. Just, just do that. And I think if people just learn to present themselves in a very approachable manner, don't try to go overboard with, I love all black people. I have a lot of black friends. I work. Don't do that. Just be yourself. Don't be afraid. Uh, just be as genuine as possible. And there will always be people you will not reach. Except that mm-hmm. there will be, there will always be people who will not trust your motives, who will not believe you. Uh, there are people that don't believe us, black yeah. people that don't believe that what we're doing is genuine. Hmm. Uh, but we thank God for so many more who have accepted, embraced, and engaged in what we're doing. You know, Elmo, you brought up a really powerful point. I bet you've under under because you live in Louisiana, so you have a lot more diversity down there than we have in our little uh, town that we live in. I bet you've kind of <laughs> come under persecution by fellow blacks because of what you're doing has that happened have you seen that have you been persecuted absolutely i've gone from one extreme for when i was called the n-word back in the 60s to now where i'm I'm uncle tom a sellout or something uh i am a jesus freak i am a believer in jesus and i know that he did not say well i'm not going to that group 
I'm not going to go, I'm not going to talk to that group. I'm not going to speak with that group because of the color of their skin. God has called us. And I believe as an, a person of color, uh, Jim, I have uh, the greatest stage of ever right now to demonstrate that God has called us yes. to for, forgive and move forward. Let go of my past and let's move together into the future. That's very, very powerful, man. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on, uh, I'm going to put you on front street here a little bit and uh, ask you a question that may be a little controversial, but uh, you know, on page 17, you said men's hearts govern their motivation for going beyond themselves to reach out to others. Then you continued on the next page. Any man seeking to build a bridge across racial and cultural lines must first ask himself this question. Do I really want to have this relationship? And I love what you're saying. Don't say you're colorblind. Don't say, hey, I've got 14 black friends and I want to have 15. You know, you know, be authentic, be real. Uh, you and I are both huge fans of Promise Keepers. I mean, we believe deeply in that movement. So this weekend I heard something that I want to ask you about. Uh, the president of, of Promise Keepers spoke and talked about Promise Six Sunday calling churches mm-hmm. to go out of their comfort zone and cr- go to another church and visit a church that's culturally different. What were your thoughts and impressions about that? What 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 were your initial gut reactions? Well, I actually had an opportunity to speak to the group I was a part of. Uh, and as many times the case is, I was the only person of color in this, <laughs> you know, this, this group of guys who didn't look quite like me, but that's okay. And I remember saying to them that I believe the... Uh, this pulpit exchange and this church is coming together. It should be a starting point. Hmm. It's the place where we start because people have been doing pulpit pulpit exchanges for years mm-hmm. and it doesn't really address the issues. Now it does bring hmm. people together to kind of experience one another, but that should be a starting point and there should be a continuing activity beyond that. There should be um, uh, men's groups meetings and uh, the ladies coming together or should be picnics. There should be Bible studies together that brings about uh, building relationships so we can actually do life together. That's what it's all about. That's gotta- interesting. When I hear that statement, I think there's there's great truth in that. I also think that should happen with every church. Why are churches so unwilling to partner with other churches? Why are they in competition? That's not a black and white thing there. That's a thing thing. No. You talk about your organization, right. Kingdom. You know That's not a kingdom principle when I'm not going to share my stuff with your stuff because I want to be better than you because I somehow feel like I'm in competition with you. I mean, we right. hope that from this podcast— our guys buy your book. Our guys reach out to you. Our guys plug into your ministry because mm-hmm. there are guys out there listening to this podcast that are deeply passionate about this issue and they need mm-hmm. more guidance than I can offer them. So we bring you on. So here's another question that we have uh, over here. And I've asked this. And, and uh, I think as I look on the news at almost 70 days of uh, people destroying a, a beautiful city that we love and, and, um, uh, uh, groups that are losing their mission behind some violence and things that shouldn't be happening. I, I want to ask you this question. On your In your book, you wrote this. Then there are the issues of groups like Black Lives Matter and the Black Panthers, who many Black people support or sympathize with. The rhetoric that and promotions of these groups are divisive and offensive to many Caucasians. 
It is difficult to embrace a man who sees the merits of any organization that believes that one race or people group is more valuable than the other. Being a part of these is akin to being a member of Ku Klux Klan. All such alliances as these indicate that there is a problem in the heart. Man, you just uh, put yourself on the cross there. <laughs> Can you unpack that for us? Uh, you don't know how. Yeah, you don't know how much I have put myself on the cross because I've come <laughs> under attack by my uh, fellow black people who say that we always bring up the issue of the heart when it comes to racial uh, issues. And I said, no, that's not true. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about the breakdown of the family. It's the same thing. But let me go back and say that uh, I'm opposed and I'm appalled at any organization that promotes one uh, people group over another. Uh, My wife and I have talked often about the Black Lives Matter message. And I believe a lot of people do not understand what that really is. Uh, and they think that because somebody is saying that my life matter, that I'm going to just kind of latch on to this and I'm going to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned that my life matter when I, I met a man by the name of Jesus who yeah. died for me and taught me that my life mattered so much until he went to the cross for me. That ought to be our message. It has nothing to do with the color of my skin, has nothing to do with all the the rhetoric that we're hearing, it has to do with what's in my heart. And whether you're connected with, because I think I say something about being um, a part of the white supremacists and the, uh, the the nationalists. I may not say that in the book, but I've often said that it doesn't matter what group you're part of, it's racist. It is divisive. It puts one group over another, and that's not the will of God. Now, that's really powerful. I, I think at the heart of this, I think possibly the reason why you're being so persecuted by so many groups is because this issue has brought up the gospel more than any other issue that you you know the gospel Uh issue in our in my white suburban culture we aren't struggling with this to the degree that you are and so our gospel message uh if i were to say is clouded maybe and so it's not as blatant Uh you're coming right out and saying in the name of jesus we need to stop this we need to stop this in the name of jesus And because of that, you're coming under Absolutely. attack. You know, we had uh, Derwin Gray on our podcast a while back, and we had a great mm-hmm. podcast with him as well. Uh, I, I really loved mm-hmm. his perspective. Mm-hmm. I've really, this has been a journey in the last four months. I've really been thinking about this in my own life. So I've been, okay, there's mm-hmm. this many people who are angry over this issue that I don't personally feel I I mean, obviously, I'm involved in it, but I don't feel like I have any prejudice one way or the other. I, I recognize color. I embrace color. I I just plug right along. But I'm like, okay, maybe that's part of my problem as well. How do I dive deeper into this? And as I've uh, dove into the deep end, Elmo, and I want you to help me out here and, and tell me what you think. I came away with what you just said. You said abortion the breakdown of the family, anything that causes this is not of God, right? And so I came down with the issue that it is the sin of partiality that James Mm -hmm. talks about. The moment I choose a woman's choice over a baby, an unborn baby's right to live, I have committed Mm -hmm. a racial sin, uh, if you want to call Mm -hmm. it that. The moment I say, I'm going to hate that person because they're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, which I'm, I'm not affiliated with a party. But the moment I do that, I've just created an act, a sinful act. The moment mm-hmm. I 
say, I'm going to get divorced because I want to move on to something better. I've created a sinful act. And so help <laughs> us to negotiate and navigate around the concept of racial prejudice versus the sin of partiality. Well, you said it best, Jim. I don't think I could say it even better. They're all uh, they're, they're issues of sin. I mean, what Satan has been so good at, he's distracted us and he's got us labeling sin as all these other things. Anything that goes against the principles and the law of God, that's sin. Yeah. So when we start talking about, uh, I, I, I love uh, people of color more than I love white people, mm. that's sin. We start talking about when I love white people more than people of color, that's sin. When we uh, are, are living in a, in a day and age where we become just silent against things that we know are sin, doesn't yes. please God. So I believe that that's the impartiality part of it. We just kind of maybe look the other way and say, well, it's going to be okay and abide by it. No, it's not. We need to address it and deal with it and say, this is sin. Bottom line, it's sin. And we as believers, followers of Christ, we just are not equipped, I believe, to just walk away and say nothing. We have to address it. And I do. Yeah. And we, you know what? Martin Luther King Jr. addressed it. You know, he addressed it. We need to address it. And, you know, it's really interesting. What I've found as I've listened to the news and I've listened to the rhetoric on social media, people uh -huh. want to have their cake and they want to eat it, too. And, and I'm uh -huh. going to say this. If you're going to be a massive, strong proponent for Black Lives Matter, you need to be equally as vocal about the unborn. If you're going to be Absolutely. vocal about Hispanic lives, you need to be equally as vocal against divorce. If you're going to be vocal yeah. about truth, you better be vocal about politics. You know, and you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying. And so I think that we uh, yes. we get we get caught on our own our own individualistic passion to the neglect mm -hmm. of the whole. And and when a when Jesus comes into a life, he wrecks that life. He deconstructs that life. He puts it back together as a whole life that recognizes mm -hmm. all of these issues. Can, I'm going to. I'm going to go back. I'm going to turn the corner a little bit because you, your book turns the corner to something what I think is beautiful and I really think mm -hmm. is the message here. And you live it out. I really appreciate it about you, which is why I wanted you on our show. On page 32 of the book, you said the part of the Bible, this part of the Bible demonstrates how God, talking about the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. In Genesis, mm -hmm. the people wanted to build a tower up to God just to prove how great they were. And God comes in and mm -hmm. basically divides the people by language and they spread all around the world. So, and about that story, you wrote this, this part of the Bible demonstrates how God used differences in language as a major barrier among people. His intent was that they may not understand one another's speech. That's, that's God in the Bible saying that as the inhabitants of the earth separate themselves from one another into various religions, their habits and cultures change. And although all were created equally by God, they were now different people groups scattered about the earth. And then uh, in another part of the book, you said this, being different is a matter of nature. Being accepted mm -hmm. and admired because of the differences is a matter of choice. That may yes. be the most beautiful statement in your book. Can you unpack yes. your heart behind that? In the early 90s, I had the wonderful opportunity of going uh, to Russia to be a part of a church planting team. 
And I discovered a culture that so intrigued me. I did not want to come home. And I, I believe I embraced it. I mean, mm. I, I just saw something that was so beautiful. And, you know, since then, God has blessed me. We've traveled to Israel. We, we do work in Africa. And I see the difference in our, in the cultures. And I, I love them. The differences in people's attitudes and how they worship together and how they work together. I love it. And I believe that's what we have to do. The first thing we admit, I believe, honestly to ourselves is that we are different. I cannot mm. lie to you and say you and I are not different. Jim, we are Correct. different. God made us different. And as a result, I believe it's our task. I believe it's our uh, duty to uh, bring the differences together and let's benefit. I embrace your differences. Um all the differences you have from me, and I, and you'll do the same. It makes for a rich, rich relationship. It does. So that's what we got to focus on. You just said something that's just beautiful to me. It makes for a rich, rich relationship. One time my wife, we, we were young and dumb way back when, and now we're old and dumb, and we were just talking about stuff going, <laughs> you know what? This world would so be so much easier if everybody just thought and acted like us instead of doing stupid things and being so different. And we laugh because honestly, it's the, it's the, it's the richness of culture that is so mm-hmm. glorious. I mean, really that's what makes America such a wonderful place to live is we are yes. so different. And I think the problem I have personally confessing here mm-hmm. is when I look mm-hmm. at somebody and go, Oh, it drives a Prius. Or oh, they they love cats, or oh, they they have a man bun, you know, or whatever I say. The moment I do that, yeah. I separate myself from that person, and I, I I miss a wonderful opportunity first to have a relationship, two to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Absolutely. there is such a wealth there. There's it's so relationships make a man wealthy, not money. And so it's so beautiful to see. People cross the room and mm-hmm. build a bridge. And honestly, the bridge may not even be a color bridge. It may not no, even be a political bridge. It's just a relational bridge. I mean, Absolutely. it's so, it's so and, and you know, it's, I don't know, man. I'm just kind of ranting right now. In your book, you but say this. Okay. <laughs> On page 34, you say, yeah. every effort must be made to break down these invisible partitions when events for diverse men are held, be the first to extend a handout for a handshake, mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. looking another man in the eye. Will you just walk us through that? Yeah. Um, again, as I shared earlier with the story about the, uh, this, the the guy who could have been a skinhead, I just <laughs> believe that I don't care what a person's attitude is. You can melt that away if you'll be the first one to reach out and say, hey, how are you? Uh, good morning. Hello. Uh, when I'm on the streets witnessing, we do it with people to tell them, you know, God loves you. And they may say, well, how could God love me if I'm in this state? Well, he loves you in that state you're in. The The goal here is to be the one that initiates the contact. And by doing that, I'm convinced you also kind of control the way the whole scenario plays out. Um, if if I approach you, Jim, with a bad attitude, that's going to probably cause you to react, mm-hmm, respond mm-hmm. in a like manner. But if I smile, look in your eyes, say, good morning, I'm Elmo Winters. You may hate me because of the color of my skin, but I guarantee you, you're going to most times respond in a positive way. You may say good morning, yeah, but you probably will not say get out of my face, leave me alone. 
Most people will not do that. So I believe we need to come out of the, uh, the comfort zone. And Jim, may I say one statement based on what our last discussion was? Yeah. My encouragement to people who don't look like me is to be, I said it before, be yourself. I see too many Caucasians trying to act black, mm. talk black, be black, be yourself. Let's come together and make for a wonderful relationship with you being who you are and with me being who I am. That's a powerful statement, man. We're going to quote you on that and throw it on social media. That was very, very powerful. So talk to us about the balance between equality and being different. In your book, you said every person must be regarded as respected equally, although God made us differently. He never lovingly Uh deals with us differently. And then you continue, Uh we are taught to not judge a book by its cover. We should never form an opinion of a person purely based on their appearance. So can you walk us through this concept? And I think this is where people get caught in the weeds, right? We're all equal. We're all equal. We're all equal. No, we're not all equal. We're different and we're equal. It's a beautiful, it's one of the beautiful paradoxes that God has laid out for us in the Bible. Can you walk us through this paradox of equal yet different? I'm reminded of how uh, Paul was teaching a church about uh, the church is one body with, with many members. Mm-hmm. Every member in the body of Christ has value. But every member in the body of Christ is not the same. Mm -hmm. Same thing with all of us. There's some of us who are much, much more educated, much more intelligent, uh, more famous, richer, and so on. But we all have value. Our goal is to come together and seek out that value so that we can add to one another's lives. There are people I know who don't even have a a high school uh, degree, but they have great wisdom Mm -hmm. and they're able to teach me some things. Um, There are people who I know who are quite wise, have degrees and they don't know anything, but I can teach them a few things. Uh, All I'm saying is I think that we need to stop judging people on the outer and give people an opportunity to share themselves. And then we can glean from that Mm -hmm. and learn Mm -hmm. from one another. Yeah, that's really powerful, man. You, I'm gonna one last question for you. So, so, so when I when I look at this thing, I boil it down to something I think is very important to men, and it's this word respect. Can you mm-hmm. talk about this word respect when crossing the racial bridge or crossing any bridge for that matter? According to what I wrote in a book, and I actually have it pulled up here, I'm going to simply just say it as I I learned it. Respect is having high regard or esteem for uh, someone or something, and I believe that's what we. Uh, must have as believers for one another. It's Jim, when I first met you, I didn't know you. Uh, I didn't hear you speak a word. But coming to you, I had high regards for you. I honored you. I had high appreciation of you because I know you are a man of God. You're a child of God. You're a follower of Christ. That's where it starts. has nothing to do with the fact that you're a white man or that you have the ministry of men in the arena. It has to do with your relationship with Christ, like my relationship mm-hmm. with Christ. So I respect, and I believe that's where we have to start it at, start at that point, going right back to this Christ-centeredness. You say you're a believer in Christ. I have a great deal of respect for you, and we build on it from that point. Well, and you talk about in your book, at the end of your book, about reciprocation. So as you mm-hmm. give me that respect, as you give me that mm-hmm. honor, there's a natural propensity for me to mm-hmm. respect you back. And really, mm-hmm. it comes down to this word. When, when we're dealing with, and you talk about this on page 49 of your book, you said when a man who is ethnically or culturally different 
sees genuine humbleness, he can be compelled to reciprocate with similar attitude or behavior. This is really good, man. And you go on and you say it produces an atmosphere that is conducive conducive to building a meaningful relationship. Uh, Where do you see humility woven into this, this paradigm, this narrative? Me approaching any situation or any group, recognizing that I'm no more than anyone else. My father, who I dedicated this book to, he taught me that I could do anything anybody else could do. He did not want me to grow up being inferior. But by the same token, he never taught me to see myself as being better than or superior to anyone else. I'm on the same playing field. Uh, I humbly will serve you. In fact, that's part of the motto of our ministry, serving you as royalty. I see you Mm -hmm. as royalty, Mm -hmm. and we serve you. If you want me to go sweep the floor, I'll do it. If you want me to stand at the door and greet people, I will do it because I am a servant at heart. Man, I just love your balance. I love your approach. Man, I hope our guys are just getting this right now. Elmo, hey, how can our guys get a hold of your book and your resources and learn more about your ministry? We direct you first to go to kingdomgroup.co and be sure you put kingdomgroup.co. I'll take you to our website where you can learn more about our activities, about our books, our materials, everything that we're doing. And even at that page, you uh, at that site, you can buy the books and buy them directly from our ministry. And uh, worst case scenario, if you want to, you can go to Amazon. And also, you can put in the name of our books and you can buy them there. Wow, sure appreciate that. Hey, guys, what are we going to do next? What are you going to do today because of what you've heard Elmo speak about? So, guys, we're going to get our boots on the ground. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just thinking of a theme that we've been exposing today, and I want you to walk across the room, look someone in the eye who is different than you, shake their hand, Uh and listen to their story. Uh They may not be ethnically different than you. They may look different than you in other ways. They may live different than you in other ways. Walk across the room. We see people that are different from us all the time. This is not Mm -hmm. a difficult thing to find, but it will be a difficult thing for you because we're asking you to have a gut check moment and walk across the room. Dale, now what's next, buddy? Yeah, guys, we want you to go to meninarena.org, enter to win a free book that Elmo has graciously donated to us to give out. So we have, I think, three of them. And so Go on there, fill out the form, and we will put you in a drawing to get overcoming racial and cultural barriers to disciple men. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.